Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. It's been about two weeks. Actually, this is my first show in three weeks because the last two weeks I've been on vacation. And it is good to be back here in the studio doing my show as always. Of course, I had a very good vacation, but I couldn't fit in the radio show in addition to all the other things I was doing. So I have one brand new movie to review for you, which I will review first, and two others that came out actually last week. So they're not technically brand new. They may be brand new to you, but for somebody like me who goes to the movies several times a week, they're old. (laughs) They might as well be Citizen Kane. No, I'm just kidding. They're not that old, but they're not exactly brand new. But I'll start with the movie that is the most brand new as of the date of this show. The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Jungle Cruise. This is the latest movie from Walt Disney or Walt Disney Studios, and it is based on one of Disneyland's oldest uh, attractions. It was first installed into Disneyland for its grand opening in 1955, and it is still an attraction that is going strong to this day. It's not exactly one of those attractions that I would have thought, unlike Pirates of the Caribbean or Tomorrowland, would make a great movie. It's, it is very basic in its concept. You get on a boat, there's a charismatic skipper that is giving you a tour of what you're seeing, and all the animals are animatronic. I wouldn't have thought that would have made a great movie, and now that I've seen the movie Jungle Cruise, I'm still convinced it wasn't a great concept for a film, but Jungle Cruise was a tad bit better than I thought it would be. Its weakness was not on the source material on which it's based, but rather that it had way too many action movie cliches. Not only did Jungle Cruise resemble other live-action Disney films like the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, but it also had a lot of almost two blatant similarities to movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark. And for those of you who are movie buffs like I am, it also bore a resemblance to The African Queen. I actually kind of liked the similarities between Jungle Cruise and the African Queen, but the other action movie cliches just didn't really do it for me. But let me give you a brief synopsis about what the plot of Jungle Cruise is. It is, as I said, based on Disneyland's classic theme park ride. And in this movie, a small riverboat takes a group of travelers through a jungle filled with dangerous animals and reptiles, but with a supernatural element. And the people who are going through this Jungle Cruise ride include the skipper, whose name is Captain Frank Wolf, and he is played by Dwayne Johnson. And he is a shrewd and cynical but noble steamboat captain, very much like Humphrey Bogart was in The African Queen. And he is accompanied on an exposition by Dr. Lily Houghton, who is a botany graduate who is played by Emily Blunt. And this is the first time that Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt have been in the same movie together, but it may not be actually the last. But Emily Blunt is an eccentric, adventurous, and virtuous scientist who is searching for the Tree of Life, which she hopes to study for its healing properties. And the two of them are accompanied by McGregor Houghton, who is Lily's younger brother, who is played by an actor I hadn't seen in many other films before, named uh, Jack Whitehall. And he is definitely, I think, a little bit more... It's it's hard to tell whether he is the straight man or the funny man. I think you would probably call him the funny straight man, because he is certainly an uptight Brit who reluctantly goes along on this exposition. And he reminds me, actually, a lot of the character... Niles Crane from the TV show Frasier. Um, Certainly when bad things happen to him, it's generally pretty funny. But 
they are searching for the tree of life and they are uh, the, the three of them on this steamboat and they encounter many obstacles, not just the dangerous animals who are on this expedition, but also there is a dead Spanish conquistador by the name of Aguirre, who's played by Edgar Ramirez, and he became cursed while searching for the tree. And periodically through this movie, he comes back to life, very similar to the way that Jeffrey Rush's character did in The Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, or the same way that Javier Bardem did in Pirates of the Caribbean, um... Dead Men Tell No Tales. I temporarily forgot the name of that movie. And that was the last Pirates of the Caribbean movie to date. It may not be the very last. It did get some bad reviews. I saw it, and I actually thought it was pretty good. And I especially loved Javier Bardem as the Dead Sea Captain that's still haunting Captain Jack Sparrow and all the rest. So... Immediately right there, there's a similarity that's too great between Jungle Cruise and at least two of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and those are just the two that I've seen. There are other Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but I have to confess I haven't actually seen those. There is also a deranged and ambitious German aristocrat whose name is Prince Joshim, who's played by Jesse Plemons. And Jesse Plemons is not German, and you can definitely tell he's not German because he does a really, really bad German accent. It made me kind of wish that they could have gotten an actual German actor like Christoph Waltz to play this part instead. And Jesse Plemons is a really good actor. Of course, I know him best from his role in Breaking Bad, which where he actually played a guy who seems milk toast on the outside, but on the inside, he is a sociopath and you hate him all the more for it. But this is not one of Jesse Plemons best roles. As a matter of fact, his performance in this film is almost distracting by his German accent. And of course you realize that there's a connection here or at least, uh, it, it seems like a weak remaking of the villains in Raiders of the Lost Ark. As a matter of fact, I was waiting for Jesse Plemons' face to melt. That didn't happen, a little bit of a spoiler alert in this movie, but I wouldn't have been surprised if the movie had gone there. So, this Jungle Cruise movie had been in development since 2004, as a matter of fact, and... There was talk about, in 2011, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen, who had worked together in all four Toy Story movies, starring in this film. And I I don't know. I, I don't think anyone asked for a Jungle Cruise movie. There, there are some Disneyland rides, as I said, that would make compelling films and have made compelling films. Tomorrowland is one of those movies that would have made a compelling film, but it just was hindered by studio interference, in my opinion. It was directed by Brad Bird, who's a very competent director, but man, the whole movie was the protagonists trying to get to Tomorrowland rather than actually being in Tomorrowland. So that was the biggest letdown of Tomorrowland for me. For this movie, Jungle Cruise, it's based on a, a ride that isn't really altogether that impressive. I, I think it probably was impressive in 1955. And rest assured, if you go to Disneyland or Disney World, you're going to have fun on the Jungle Cruise. The question is whether or not it makes a great movie. And to me, Jungle Cruise was just another expedition action film. It was almost like a toned-down Apocalypse Now without Marlon Brando at the end. And the the strength of this movie actually involves Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt. I thought both of them had really good chemistry together, especially when there's a bit of romantic tension that builds between the two of them. I didn't think the two of them could actually be that kind of romantic in such a film, but both of them have acting abilities that are so great that they both prove me wrong. And that is really good. 
The problem with this movie is maybe it could be seen as escapism to some people, but to me, it's just an amalgamation of other better action films, some from Walt Disney, some not from Walt Disney, that I had seen before. And some people, particularly critics, have complained that the animals in this film were too obviously CGI'd, which they were, but I'd give this movie a pass for that because it is based on a Disneyland ride where virtually none of the animals that you see on the Jungle Cruise are real. A vast majority of them are animatronic, and the elephants have been wiggling their ears the same way they had for the last 60 years or so. And I'm stealing a line, actually, from a Weird Al song called Skipper Dan, which is about a, an actor who is, uh, who is a skipper on a Jungle Cruise ride when he wanted to be a more prolific actor. It's actually Weird Al Yankovic's only sad song. And as I was watching this film, I was thinking to myself about that song and how that song is actually more interesting than what goes on in Jungle Cruise. I think if you're looking for a summer film that's a bit of an escape and can take you on an equivalent of the Jungle Cruise ride on Disney World and Disneyland, you might not be disappointed by this movie, but I thought other than... Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt in this film, nothing else really worked. I thought the funny parts weren't particularly funny. The action, thrilling parts, particularly the climax, wasn't really all that great to begin with. And I was overall left bored throughout the first two-thirds of this movie. So Jungle Cruise gets my rating of a strikeout. I think that the film's saving grace that prevented this film from being a flunk out was the chemistry between Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt. But nothing else really worked here. I thought Jack Whitehall's character was a bit annoying and a little too uptight. Edgar Ramirez seemed to be ripped right from a Pirates of the Caribbean movie and might as well have been an antagonist in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Jesse Plemons should have ditched the German accent or... He should have, or the movie should have hired an actual German actor or somebody who is doing a much better German accent. And even the guy from Laughing, who hides behind bushes and says, very interesting, is more of a convincing German than Jesse Plemons is here. So I think there were some things that worked in Jungle Cruise, but overall, most of the film didn't work and it added up to an overall forgettable action film. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Space Jam, A New Legacy. This is the first Space Jam movie and probably the last one, but it's the first one in 25 years. It is a sequel, uh, a very loose sequel to the 1996 film that stars... Michael Jordan, and a vast majority of the Looney Tunes characters. And starring in this movie this time is LeBron James. Uh, Again, like Michael Jordan in the 1996 film, playing himself. And the original Space Jam was not a great movie. I think its, its criticisms came from... Looney Tunes purist in the sense that the Looney Tunes were characters in this film, but they weren't exactly, um, their, their show, their talents weren't showcased here. There was also criticism about Michael Jordan's acting, but I do think that space jam was good for what it was. And when you consider all the live action animated hybrid films that came out after who framed Roger rabbit, 
Space Jam is probably a distant second or third. I think it's around the same level as The Mask in terms of live action and animation hybrid. But I think it actually did a really good job. Sure, Michael Jordan is not a formally trained actor, and that's fine. But I think he actually acted very well on a green screen along with the other Looney Tunes characters. And just another note about the original Space Jam movie, unlike Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which did not use a single computer for its animation or live-action animation hybrid, Space Jam was assisted by computers, but I think the effect worked pretty well. And the effects for Space Jam A New Legacy are definitely a lot more computer animated, and that's perfectly fine. But I think that some of the charm from the original Space Jam movie was lost with Space Jam A New Legacy. With that said, I think there were some strengths that Space Jam A New Legacy had. So in this movie, LeBron James plays himself, and what happens is you first meet up with him in 1998 when he is 12 years old, which, by the way, makes me feel really old that I'm older than LeBron James, and LeBron James has accomplished more in his life than I could probably ever hope to accomplish. But he is at a junior high uh, basketball game, and at first he's distracted by a Game Boy game, which is Bugs Bunny's Crazy Castle 2. And the thing that rang particularly poignant for me about this is I was a kid in the 90s, I had a Game Boy myself, And Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle 2 was one of my favorite um, Game Boy games. It it still is really fun to play. It's it's a cool puzzle game. But the young LeBron James is interrupted by his coach who tells him to get in the game. And there's a scene where uh, young LeBron James is about to make a basket. It's the final seconds of a game, and he's about to shoot it. Uh, The basketball into the basket with with his team being one point behind and he ends up missing the shot now does this is this based on a true story maybe it is is it uh something that's relevant to the rest of the plot not exactly but i think it actually sets in motion lebron james's meteoric rise in the nba and he's had a better career so far than probably about 95% of other NBA players. And he certainly is a superstar, but we meet him in his adult life when he's playing for the Lakers and he is trying to connect with his younger son, Dom, who is actually not played by his real life son. As a matter of fact, his wife and his other son in this movie. I'm not sure if LeBron James has more kids, but they're not played by LeBron James' actual family. They're played by professional actors, which I think is a very good move because there are certain people when you're in the public eye that you don't want in the spotlight. So I thought it was a very good move to not have LeBron James's family be uh, in this movie center stage. But The plot really gets going when executives from Warner Brothers have a meeting with LeBron James, and their pitch is very creative, but it's a little unclear about what their pitch actually is. So you see the boardroom in which LeBron James and other Warner executives are sitting, and they're watching this very elaborate and very well-orchestrated short film that shows what LeBron James could be if he joined forces with Warner Brothers. And they're telling him that they could put him in various Warner Brothers-produced movies and TV shows like Game of Thrones, for example. And it's a little unclear what the Warner Brothers executives are trying to do with LeBron James. Are they putting him in a movie? Are they having it where he's digitally transformed into a film. And the other question is, who would want to watch that? I think it would be good for a novelty to see LeBron James transferred into Game of Thrones, for example, but 
I think the novelty would wear off really quick. And LeBron James apparently seems to think so in this executive meeting as well. But this anger is the person who put together the the pitch slideshow. And he is a man who lives inside a computer whose name is Algy Rhythm, which is a little bit of a bad dad joke. But Algy Rhythm is played by Don Cheadle. And Don Cheadle, I believe, is somebody who is not a a man who is trapped inside a computer, but a man who is made by a computer. Although that's not particularly uh, well explained either. But in any event, Algy Rhythm gets very mad that LeBron James doesn't accept his pitch. And as a result, uh, takes his son Dom, Dom and transfers him into the um, Warner Brothers cloud. And LeBron James actually jumps into the cloud and tries to get his son Dom back by challenging Algy Rhythm to what LeBron James does best, with it, which is a basketball game. And for some odd reason, the way that the Looney Tunes are roped into this are a bit contrived and not explained nearly as well as the original Space Jam movie. And I won't get into the plot details about why the Looney Tunes challenge their antagonists to a basketball game and how they get Michael Jordan to come in, but it's done a lot more cleverly in the original Space Jam movie than it is in Space Jam A New Legacy. And also, LeBron James has some really great ideas once he meets up with Bugs Bunny about what fictional characters, not necessarily Looney Tunes cartoons, would be great for his basketball team. He lists Superman, he lists King Kong, and all the characters that he lists are not obviously Looney Tunes characters, but they are properties that are owned by Warner Brothers. And the fact that he can't get these characters to join him on the same basketball team is also a a little bit contrived as well. I mean, there are just some characters that say no, but why would anyone, uh, fictional or real characters, turn down the opportunity to play basketball with LeBron James? I don't know, but basically... He has the Looney Tunes to work with. And there's another subplot that's not explained particularly well where Bugs Bunny is the only cartoon character that's left in Toontown. And for some odd reason, all the other Looney Tunes characters have gone their separate ways into other separate Warner Brothers properties. For example, Lola Bunny is in a Wonder Woman cartoon. Elmer Fudd and Sylvester have have morphed themselves into an Austin Powers film. Um, the the granny who owns Tweety Bird is in The Matrix. And while it's confusing as to why these Warner Brothers characters have, have gone to other Warner Brothers properties, it actually is funny to see them in these uh, other Warner Brothers or New Line um, Time Warner properties. For instance, when Elmer Fudd was morphed into Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me, I I laughed out loud. And when you see the role that Sylvester plays in that same Austin Powers movie, I also laughed. And The Matrix has been parodied to death, particularly in the early aughts. And it's been a while since people have parodied The Matrix because Matrix parodies were so cliche there for a little while. But I actually liked when they parodied The Matrix in this film. And I do actually think that once the Looney Tunes get together and um, play this basketball game against Algy Rhythm's um, goon squad, not the best uh, name for a, a basketball team, but that's what you have here, I actually do think that all of the Looney Tunes special gags and characteristics come out better in this film than they did in Space Jam. And there were various moments where I laughed out loud. The thing is, though, you don't really know exactly what Algy Rhythm really wants. I know he wants to win a basketball game against LeBron James, and he does have some very high stakes for him and his team to win. 
but you don't really know what the consequences of algae rhythm losing would be or, and what happens to him in the end. I'm not going to give anything away, but I'm just going to say that his demise is less than satisfying only because it's been kind of brushed over. Also, when the basketball game goes on, you see all these Easter eggs, not literal Easter eggs, but all these characters that are owned by Time Warner going in to watch the basketball game. And some of these are characters that used to be owned by Ted Turner. I don't know if Ted Turner owns these characters anymore. There are a lot of Hanna-Barbera characters like the Flintstones, the Jetsons, Frankenstein Jr., and seeing these uh, characters is a good reminder that the Time Warner Company owns a lot of rich creative properties, and also there are some rich creative properties that Disney does not own, which is kind of encouraging. But at the same time, you have all these other creative animated characters, and you're kind of wondering, especially with characters like Hong Kong Fooey or Frankenstein Jr., why they don't uh, participate in the basketball game. And with Space Jam, it took place entirely in a Looney Tunes universe. But here, it takes place in Time Warner's universe with all its own characters. And I, was, I should also know that there are live-action characters that are owned by Warner Brothers here as well, which are a little bit of a letdown, particularly when you notice that there's the mask, as in the character that Jim Carrey played in the 1994 film. And there's also the penguin, which is designed to look like the character of the penguin, not from the animated series uh, of Batman, but from Tim Burton's Batman Returns. But you can clearly see when you look closely at them that the mask and the penguin are not played by Jim Carrey or Danny DeVito, respectively. And I do understand that it would have been very, very difficult to have gotten Jim Carrey or Danny DeVito to make cameos in this film. But at the same time, if you have such dynamic actors playing dynamic characters, why would you just show somebody else who is posing as them? doesn't really make very much sense, and it is a little bit of a distraction rather than a clever Easter egg. But I can't say that I hated Space Jam A New Legacy. I didn't. I actually thought the special effects were really good. I thought that the way the basketball game was played was, first of all, not the same as in the original Space Jam, and that is great. But also, B, it was played a lot more creatively by a certain amount of rules that encourage creativity. I did think that the subplot with LeBron James trying to connect with his son Dom, who's more interested in designing video games than playing basketball, I thought that was a little cliche, uh, particularly when you count the number of films where a parent wants their child to do one thing, but their passion is really something else. We've seen that before, but... I do think that a few more things worked in Space Jam A New Legacy than they didn't work. So for that reason, I give Space Jam A New Legacy a checkout because I do think that there have been some criticisms about this movie with product placement and the uh, Looney Tunes cartoons not getting the attention to their unique skills that they deserved. I actually disagree with the fact that the... Looney Tunes cartoons get under rug swept. That's not true at all in this film. I do think their unique skills are showcased more in this film than they were in Space Jam. I do think LeBron James has limited acting um, capabilities like Michael Jordan, but also like Michael Jordan, his acting could have been much worse, and he does have some acting experience being in commercials. Plus, LeBron James, unlike Kobe Bryant, I'm sorry to say, is a lot more charismatic and would carry a film a lot better than Kobe Bryant would. Again, no, I'm not disrespecting Kobe Bryant for having, you know, because he is he is no longer with us, and the way he died and his daughter died was indeed tragic. But my biggest issue with Kobe Bryant was his he could not carry a film like LeBron James or Michael Jordan could. 
So, so moving on, I do think there are some surprises in Space Jam A New Legacy. I do think that uh, there was a lot of creativity put into it. It's just the story itself and the motivations of some of the major characters could have used some more development. But other than that, I did enjoy it, and I did get some big laughs from watching Space Jam A New Legacy. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Old. This is the latest movie directed by M. Night Shyamalan. And M. Night Shyamalan had previously directed back in 2019 the movie Glass, which was a sequel to both Unbreakable and Split. As a matter of fact, Split, I would have considered M. Night Shyamalan's comeback movie because that was probably his most solid film since Unbreakable. And the twist to the movie Split was that it was a sequel to Unbreakable. Now, normally I wouldn't give away that spoiler, but I made an exception this time because it, it was relevant to the movie Glass. And I think the, the fact that the, the movie Glass came out basically spoiled the ending to Split, or one of the endings. But that's all I'm going to spoil about that movie. Old is not a sequel, but it is an original... It's actually not an original story by M. Night Shyamalan. It is one of the only times that M. Night Shyamalan has adapted a movie based on previous source material. The only other time he did that was with disastrous results, or so I'm told, with the movie The Last Airbender, which was based on the anime, which aired on Nickelodeon and was very popular for a few years, called Avatar The Last Airbender. Well, The Last Airbender movie was criticized for its wooden dialogue and also the fact that there were Asian characters that were not played by Asian actors. Now, I haven't seen the last airbender, but that's already a big criticism. And I would have expected better, especially from a guy who is directing the movie, who is Asian American himself. Why he cast white actors to play Asian actors is beyond me, but my guess is it's probably studio interference. The movie old is actually based on a graphic novel called sandcastle, which already I think would have been a better name for this movie than old. If anything, I think that the, the name of the movie old gives away a major plot point, but it is about a couple who is on vacation in Hawaii. It's a husband, wife, and their two young children. They have a son who's about six and a half and a daughter who is about 10 or 11. And they are brought to this beach for this private beachfront in Hawaii by a driver who works for the hotel, who's actually played by the director M night Shyamalan himself. And they're brought there along with some other, uh, colorful hotel patrons, including a doctor, uh, who also has moments of schizophrenia, his vain trophy wife, who you learn has a calcium deficiency, and their young daughter. And also on this beach is a rapper, or a famous rapper within the context of the film, whose name is Midsize Sedan. And I actually found that name, Midsize Sedan, very funny because I think a Midsize Sedan is something that people from the suburbs drive, first of all. And secondly, if you're a rapper, no matter how big in stature you are, I don't think you'd want to be known as being mid-sized. <laughs> At least I don't think so, especially when you have other rapper names like the Notorious B.I.G., Big Punisher, Heavy D, and those are just the the heavy set actors. But even if you're if you if you're not <laughs> overweight like those rappers are, and if you're just of 
normal stature. You still don't want to be known as mid-size. I don't think so. How about Big Daddy Kane? Big Daddy Kane was not a big guy, but he wanted to be big. So I don't know. But anyway, there are some colorful characters, and they actually find out in an episode or, or in a movie that whose plot seems to be ripped from the Twilight Zone that there's something very strange about this beach, particularly when a body washes up on shore. And you're not exactly told what happens to, or basically the, the body that washes up on shore suggests foul play. And the people who are on the beach begin to suspect one another. And the, the movie has a pretty good premise. Again, I feel like I've seen this kind of film in the Twilight Zone or on one particular episode of the Twilight Zone, not one that takes place on a beach, but one that takes place in an isolated area where there are various characters with various motivations, but it just doesn't really um, scream originality for me. Plus, if this is based on a graphic novel, it's based on one called Sandcastle, as I said previously, I would think that the ideas in Sandcastle would be, I think, strong enough to support a movie or or so, I think. And I think that one of the main culprits of old being or preventing old from being a great movie is probably studio interference, because I do think that M. Night Shyamalan is a very unique storyteller. I think at his best, he is very creative And I do think that when you're not anticipating his twist endings, his twist endings can be unique and refreshing. But I think when you're waiting for that twist ending, the twist ending is always a little bit of a letdown. Less Rod Serling and more R.L. Stein. Because R.L. Stein, when he wrote the Goosebumps and the Sphere Street books, They were good up until the very end when the twist ending seemed kind of hokey. And that's how I feel about the movie Old. I do think that in addition to the the plot not being especially intriguing and being a, a bit like something we'd seen before in The Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits, the acting was also surprisingly wooden. And there are a number of newcomer actors, or at least actors we haven't seen as much uh, previously. We do have some actors here who have been in some great films, like uh, Gael Garcia Bernal and Alex Wolfe, amongst other actors. As um, but I just didn't think that their their dialogue was particularly well timed, particularly when somebody was supposed to say something funny and they said something funny, but the timing was very much off and the way the movie resolved itself towards the end, which again, words on film has a no spoiler, um, rule. So I won't give away what happens, but I will say that there was a particular moment where I think the film should have cut off or should have ended and it would have been brilliant, but the ending kind of went on and on and, wrapped itself into too neat a package where I think that the less that could have been told about the ending, the more intriguing it would have been. So Old is not one of M. Night Shyamalan's best films, but it's also not one of his worst. So I'm going to give it a strikeout because I do think that if studios hadn't interfered maybe with the way the movie ended and probably didn't put their hands in some plot points that otherwise seem particularly contrived. I think it would have had the potential to be a better film. And I also think that the, the acting could have used some major work. And I, I think that M night Shyamalan's best films are with seasoned actors like Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson, but he somehow doesn't seem to bring the best out of actors who are a bit more novice. And I also think that there are a lot of characters who were on this beachfront from which they can't escape. And 
they could have been developed into better and stronger characters, but a vast majority of them, including the main family, were remarkably underdeveloped. I think there's one character, the six-and-a-half-year-old son, who is developed well, but the other characters are not so much. And it shows from the ending result of this film just being somewhat bland and forgettable. And that's really unfortunate because I know M. Night Shyamalan can do a lot better. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the movies that I have to review for you for this show, it's usually time for me to get into my other segment, which is what's coming up next. And this is where I I give a spoken word preview of movies that are coming out in theaters and or on streaming which you can which are subject to change but overall the release dates are consistent. Unfortunately, I'm having some issues with my internet connection so I can't bring you that segment right now. But I do have about 15 minutes to just go on with this um show and this is really frustrating because the Wi-Fi in the studio has completely crapped out on me. So I'm getting that dinosaur, uh, which, which says no internet. And <laughs> it's, it's kind of like when you're calling for help, like at, at AAA, when your car is broken down on the side of the road, you're listening to an, an agent will be with you shortly. And you're hearing this very light music almost like a midnight serenade or something that's Muzak. And you're just thinking it actually makes you more frustrated because you're thinking, why are they taking this lightly? My car is broken down. It just, it just makes you more frustrated. So when I see that cute little dinosaur and the, the words, no internet underneath it, it just gets me frustrated. I want to strangle that dinosaur, even though the dinosaur is made out of, black and white, eight bits graphics. (laughs) It's not the dinosaur's fault that there's no internet. There is something else with my Wi-Fi. But yeah, I've had situations like that where I'm screaming at the Muzak that's playing on the other side of the phone when my car is broken down. But then I take a deep breath and I realize that technology malfunctions from time to time, but the technology that we may take for granted, like functioning Wi-Fi and access to cell phones is something that our grandparents and our great grandparents, even on the technology's worst days would have considered magic. So I just take a deep breath and I realize that that is the situation I'm in right now. It really sucks that when I'm on live radio, the internet breaks down on me, but I'm one of those people who tries not to take things for granted and I just realized this is a technical glitch. So I am taking a deep breath and just ranting to you about how I want to strangle that dinosaur that appears on my web browser over the words, no internet. (laughs) I guess those dinosaurs didn't realize the magic of the internet. 65 plus million years ago. (laughs) I guess that's one of the things to take away from it. But anyway, I should also maybe talk to you about another serious issue here. One of the things for which I'm grateful in 2021 
And it would, what has already made 2021 a better year overall than 2020 is the fact that being fully vaccinated, I can go to the movies again. But this pandemic is not over. And there are a rising number of cases of people with COVID-19, all of them who are being hospitalized for COVID-19 are people who have not been vaccinated. So for those of you who have gotten the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccinations, both of them, good for you. Thank you. For those of you who have not gotten those vaccinations, it is imperative that you get them. And it really is sad in this country how we have the technology to protect ourselves and the scientists who have worked so hard during 2020 to really almost single-handedly make 2021 a better year. But the reason that we're still in this pandemic is because people are still getting infected with COVID-19 and they are still dying from COVID-19. So I didn't think that months after I got vaccinated for COVID-19, I would still have to tell people to get vaccinated, but I am telling you guys because it is necessary for us to be vaccinated and to achieve herd immunity. If everyone is not vaccinated, you're just doing more damage to yourselves. But there's a lot of misinformation out there, and I understand that. But I think the way we combat misinformation is with the right information. It's the only way we, we really can. I'll tell you that when I got vaccinated, I braced myself to be sick because after my first vaccination shot, I was fine. After the second vaccination shot, I anticipated and braced with myself to be sick, but it actually didn't happen. I was a bit drowsy, but I didn't experience flu-like symptoms or anything else. But even if you do experience flu-like symptoms after that second shot, it does get better. There are lots of people who have died from COVID-19. There is no one who has died from a COVID-19 vaccination. And that is really how everything is. So I would encourage all of you to please get vaccinated. I cannot stress that enough. And the reason I'm stressing it so much is because of the fact that I have no internet and I have nothing movie related to talk about. But in regards to being vaccinated, I am very thankful a to be vaccinated, but also the fact that I can go back to the movies and watch films on the big screen again. And I was kind of deprived of that um, ability. Oh, well, we all were during a vast majority of 2020 when movie theaters and restaurants and all other places shut down and rightfully so we, we had to practice social distancing because that was how we were going to survive. I'm glad 2020 is over. 2020 is definitely one of the most cataclysmic years ever. But, you know, with that said, I do think that if it hadn't been for movies streaming, I would have had to have postponed this show. And I'm not comparing lives being lost to me doing my show, but doing this show was, for me, a way to keep sane during 2020. And I think... For those of you who are listening to my show, I hope I kept you sane with my movie chat. As I said, movies are not an escape for me. They're a a learning. Um, uh, they're a way for me to learn about what works in terms of telling stories and what doesn't. And they also keep me sane during insane times. So maybe in that respect... Movies are a way to escape. But honestly, the reason that I appreciate being in a movie theater and seeing something on the big screen is that unlike being at home and watching a movie on streaming, 
with being in a movie theater, there are no, there are almost no distractions. The screen is huge. The, the sound is great. I can actually turn off my cell phone and just focus on the things that are on the screen. And I don't get the same kind of experience from streaming. But with that said, streaming in terms of having things to talk about on the show kept me sane because there were plenty of films, both domestic and foreign, that um, were released in mass on streaming platforms. That was really the only way many of us could get our movies. And I appreciated it for that. But with that said, it's great to be back in the movie theaters again. It really is. And man, I am missing the internet right now. When I talk about streaming films, it it really is kind of maddening that I don't have any internet right now. And I'm just staring at my computer at that dinosaur that tells me that there is no internet, but what can I do? It's just something that I have to uh, deal with as my show, Words on Film, as I'm back to do my show after a two-week hiatus, winds down. But I, I guess I might as well tell you about the vacation I had. I went to Maine, and, that, and Maine is where uh, my parents live. It's where I grew up, and this was my first time actually going back to Maine since the Christmas holidays, or should I say the last couple of weeks of 2020. And for such a bad year as 2020 was, it was great that 2020 at least ended with me seeing my family and having, for all intents and purposes, a better holiday than it could have been if I had been separated from them. But it was great to actually go back to see my family now that all of us have been vaccinated too, because it's, it's really, it's really great that we're able to do that now. And while I didn't see any films during my two week break, which is, which is the reason why I didn't have um, as many films to review this week as I probably should have. It's still great to just spend some time with my family. And my girlfriend came with me. This was her first time meeting the family in person because we'd spoken over Zoom before several times. But actually having them meet in person was really something else. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.